0: The Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org.
1: Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Deborah Fitzgerald, editor of the Peninsula Pulse. And today in the Bailey's Harbor studio, I have a familiar person to many of you who may be listening, but who insists that he really is out of the limelight now, except for this week, because now he agreed to come on the Dura County Pulse podcast. He's shaking his head at me right now. Bill (laughs) Schuster, welcome. Hi. (laughs) Bill, let's talk about who you are or were in your career.
2: I was the county conservationist with the Door County SWC, Door County Soil and Water Conservation Department. I started in 79 and worked 37 years as a county conservationist as the department was being created. I was a a one-person staff when I started in 79.
1: And how many people did you have when you left? What year did you retire?
2: 2016. Okay. I'm not sure how many were there when we left, but I think at one point we were eight or nine max. You okay. know, we, we went from a, a budget of, when I started, of $10,500 to a budget of a couple million dollars at the, the high point of the water quality work.
1: Okay. What precipitated the creation of that department?
2: After the Dust Bowls in the 20s, the federal government wanted to get in to work in local communities, mainly with farmers, about soil erosion. So they created a law which allowed them to go into each state, asked each state to pass a law to create districts, similar to a school district, but conservation districts. And that allowed federal staff then to work on a local level. That was the status until right after I started working, there was a process to change in Wisconsin from districts to county departments. I was one of the early, maybe the first dozen or or so, county conservationists to be hired in the state, and our role was to create those county department programs, to look at the, the real need in a county and create a program to represent that need. Prior to that, it was a federal-driven program with federal priorities. Not, Not that that's a bad thing, but it wasn't locally focused. And also, they would not do any regulation or direction of landowners and such. And the state was reaching a point where they really wanted to do a lot more groundwater work or a lot more water quality work. We started doing a lot of groundwater work in Durr County.
1: Is it accurate to say that every program that exists in the SWCD right now you started?
2: I think so. No, I've never looked at it that way because we started with no programs and I think so. I um, think that's true.
1: So there wouldn't be any, really, that, uh, how about invasive species? That was under your purview as well, right? right?
2: With, with invasive species.
1: Probably uh, the newest one, I'm thinking.
2: One of the newer ones. Uh, we were. We started doing a lot more uh, stormwater runoff and, and such oh. in later years. I don't know what the order, but they all started under that those years.
1: Okay. Well, the reason we are talking today is about one specific program that I believe you had worked on for more than a decade, I want to say that you did. We have a story in the Peninsula Pulse, and it is based on a project that Crossroads at Big Creek is doing. I really thank them for doing this project because it opened my eyes when I started diving into this issue, but they had a couple of former mixing sites, sites where lead arsenate was the powder, was mixed with water and then sprayed, that soluble spray was sprayed on on orchards everywhere, including in Door County, as a pesticide. So they found that they had two of those mixing sites where the concentrations of lead and arsenic are highest and they decided that they would reclaim those sites and clean the soil so they're going through that process right now and as a part of that process they invited bill schuster and a couple of other people to an information session and bill was able to shed historic light and context on this issue it is not one that is only in the past This particular pesticide is no longer used. It was banned in 1988, but according to the state, it was not really in widespread use after the 1960s. So this is no longer used. However, it's a metal, lead and arsenic. Those are metals, so they stay in the soil. They're not real mobile.
2: Right. So the spray, as you said, was sprayed on the orchards and and other crops, certainly the potato areas of, of Door County. And it migrates down, not very far in the soil, and then attaches itself to the soil particles quite firmly. And so we're looking at 6 to 12 inches that there's the high level or elevated levels of lead and arsenic.
1: Okay. Now, it was discovered that the remnants of this particular pesticide was lingering in the soil and potentially causing human health hazards. So can you take us back to the time when this was found out, really, and then what your department did. And then perhaps go back, actually, this is the really compelling part, because you are a a native local Dora County resident and generations, correct? Fifth generation. Fifth generation. So you have a pretty interesting connection with this. So why don't we start there?
2: My connection?
1: Yes, your connection.
2: So as Deb said, I am a fifth generation and I my family home was on Cherry Road as we were talking about orchards here in the spray on Cherry Road and I went to Cherry School in our childhood, my childhood, and I say our childhood because all my brothers, we worked the orchards, any part of the orchards from planting the trees to trimming to hauling to the factories to picking to spraying and, and such in addition to that there was the two largest cherry and apple operation orchard operations in the world at the time in the 40s and 50s i guess where they were the largest were Reynolds brothers and Martins both of those are at the end of cherry road by the golf course up in Sevastopol. okay my grandfather Eli Salway, and Salway is the uh, Americanization of my, my family name from Norway, Salva Sun. Eli Salway ran all outside operations at Reynolds Brothers. And he also then was responsible for the spraying of thousands of acres of, of trees, and thus applying this lead and arsenic that we are now talking about. Mm. I, as a child, and i was at the end of the heyday of the orchard industry if you think about it in that the heyday being the 40s and 50s and then as a young child i worked in the orchards in the you know early 1960s but there weren't as many rules in those days so hmm. you know we drove trucks to factories and you know way before we had license and we sprayed and we we did a lot of things so the lead and arsenic that was being sprayed out there at my time was the leftover lead and arsenic because that lead and arsenic was replaced by DDT, <laughs> and yeah, so which is kind of ironic. You're right, it is. It is, but it was very effective. And the orchard, the one orchard that we worked in, I don't know if it was leftover or they got it from others, but that was the last of the lead arsenate that we were aware of being sprayed. We sprayed a lot more DDT and other pesticides than <clears throat> personally.
1: Interesting. So between 1890 and 1960 was apparently when lead arsenate was used widespread use according to the Department of Agriculture, Trade and Consumer Protection, which is the governing body, if you will. So the EPA had approved of this pesticide and it was a licensed product. It was completely legal. However, with more use the pests that it was designed to eliminate or deter became resistant, correct? And then more and more of it was used.
2: You you sprayed, first off, I guess you sprayed cherries and apples, and apples you sprayed more often. Mm. And it wasn't, like in the days now where the farmers would get advice as to when they should spray or apply pesticides or fertilizers, it was really a farmer or orchard grower making that decision you know are are the bugs starting to come out? we need to spray so it wasn't It wasn't as regulated as it is now, mm-hmm. so there are some pretty heavy applications, particularly to the apple orchards,
1: okay. When I was speaking with the environmental company that is doing the reclamation for Crossroads, his name is Ken Abbott, he was talking about the contamination of the soil in Dora County, maybe at a certain level in a more widespread way. However, it's not practical to dig up all the topsoil in Dora County and have no topsoil. And so they focus on these mixing sites where the concentrations are supposedly higher. What happened at those mixing sites? And is that accurate?
2: Well, let's back up just a little bit. So with the lead lead arsenate, it came as a powder. Mm-hmm. And it had to be mixed with water before it could be put in the sprayer. So we had these sites that, as you refer to as mixing sites, where there's a certain level of contamination there. And then we had 10,000 acres of cherry trees and, and another 2,000 of apples and some pears and such. So then it was also sprayed out there. So w- we had to make a decision back in the 80s where to focus our efforts.
1: Now let's, let's back up before you even get there. Why did you suddenly need to focus hmm. efforts on this issue?
2: All right, so in the early 80s, I believe, I guess it's early 80s, there was a couple wells in Sevastopol Township that were having some high lead in them. And, you know, so the effort was made to, to determine what was causing that. And it was largely the health people that were working on that. And through that process, it was noted that at a mixing site that was connected with Reynolds Brothers, in fact, their largest mixing site, they saw some copper staining of on the bedrock. And copper was also in some of the pesticides. That started the whole story of uh, our investigation of what were the pesticides that were being used. Huh. You know, The people that were first being involved in this had no idea uh, the nature or the scale of the orchard industry. So it was going that direction. Uh, so what happened then is we were asked, we being the soil and water conservation department, was to start determining where these mixing sites were and the size of them and the concern. So back to the, the thought of the contamination, the mixing sites are an area of much higher numbers than the orchards mm-hmm. when you brought up the, the comments from Ken mm-hmm. and the practicality of, of cleaning it up. Also, the orchards was a prescribed use. Mm. You know, It was a legal product as you pointed out and it was a prescribed use. No one was doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe society was, but the individual wasn't doing anything wrong. The mixing sites were, are, because there's many of them out there yet, uh, sites of misuse. So the, the focus for protection of people because of the higher numbers and because it was a misuse, we could focus on identifying and requiring the cleanup of those sites.
1: What do you mean by misuse at these sites?
2: Well, you're not supposed to clean sprayers and dump extra waste and concentrate. You're supposed to be spraying it out on the orchard. And, you know, it wasn't something evil going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our standards and understanding of, of environmental protection is so different now than than years ago. And a flaw we often have as we judge humans' past behavior based on today's knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. So there weren't people doing evil stuff,
1: Mm -hmm. uh,
2: but it was misuse. It wasn't supposed to happen.
1: Sure. I think you mentioned you used as an example a 12-year-old kid tired at the end of the day. He's done, so he just dumps the tank.
2: As I said in the beginning, we work the orchards.
1: Yeah. We were kids, mm-hmm.
2: you know, enough already. We're, right. we're going home.
1: Yeah, okay. You know, so
2: and what's ironic is swinging back to the, my grandfather and that big site and where it was identified, I led a operation to clean up these sites.
1: So that's where you came after the 1980s. Yes. After it was identified, then you developed a program to, how, yeah. did, how did that okay. work?
2: So what we were asked to do was to identify where mixing sites were. Okay. Because of my family history and my past, we knew people who knew where things were. Mm-hmm. We lived in the middle of orchards. We understood the industry. So the first thing we did is we mapped all, all the old orchards in, in Door county because every orchard in the county had to have a mixing site Okay. somewhere yeah. that they had to be mixed, whether it was on their property or someone else's property. So by using aerial photos four different, years of them starting in 1938 we were able to start focusing or identifying what is that building and most of them still had they had tanks of uh, elevated tanks Mm -hmm. of water to mix the the pesticide and it was fairly easy to do this for all, all the large ones so we create this list of mixing sites of the big ones or the biggest ones what i was starting to say before is we were the cleanup Of my grandfather's site was sort of ironic but i also cleaned up sites that i mixed pesticides (laughs) pesticides, (laughs) and and we i don't know if we said at the beginning but my time was uh, as a a young kid and lead arsenic was not the pesticide of choice at that time Mm. the the lead arsenic that we sprayed a lot of other things the lead arsenic that i was involved in was left over some no, orchard grower wanted to use it or, or something of that sort. So the damage um, had already been done. We sprayed a lot more DDT than we sprayed lead
1: arsenic. Okay. DDT, does that remain in the soil as well?
2: Well, that's... that's. We'll it's be com- getting off topic there, but... Yeah, it's completely the opposite. So the lead arsenic, these metals attach to these soil particles, and they, for the most part, stay there, and we should should follow up on why it's in the groundwater. Sure. DDT is water-soluble, so it's not mm. here. You okay. know, it's flushed into Green Bay and Lake Michigan.
1: Okay, so it doesn't live on in the soil the way right. this does. Yes. Right. Well, since you were talking about, we should talk about why it was discovered in the well water.
2: Well, so when we look at human health, the two things that the health people tell us is that direct contact... You should not have the elevated level of soils on your skin. You know, for chronic use. This isn't acute. You don't get it on your, on you, and you die. It's chronic exposure, which is an important thing to, to think through. But the other is ingesting and drinking. You know, kids playing in in uh, background by, by playset and dirty hands and mm. getting dirty food and things of that sort. But also drinking the groundwater. Mm-hmm most of the orchards were on the western side of the county from there was a big cluster of sturgeon bay you know including where the subdivisions in the city of sturgeon bay parts of sturgeon bay are all the way up to almost carlsville then there was another cluster by egg harbor and then another one by sister bay all on the west side because of the climate's a little warmer but really important too is the soils were were good for growing trees. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the shallowest soils in Door County are also on the western side of the county. So if you think about the lead and only going down six to 12 inches, if you have orchards that have six to eight inches of soil and in places, and we have never talked about this, but they'd actually blast holes in the bedrock when they were planting trees, you're getting in a situation where these colloidal clay particles which have lead and arsenic attached to them can actually go down into the groundwater system. Mm -hmm. And crevices, we've, many people in Door County have noticed the green lines out in oats fields or on the golf course or something. Those are crevices in the bedrock where the soil's a little deeper. The green line is because there's moisture and a plant can grow, we have crevices all over in Door County, so we have these passages that, that actually the soil itself, at times, can go down because they, they can travel very slowly in the soils. I in fact, they're going to be for many, many, many decades. We're going to still have this topic in Door County,
1: and I guess that's what makes it so prescient. Even though Crossroads is doing that right now, there are still 39 open sites according to the state. Mm -hmm. They have a recorded 21 that have been closed. And still those that have been closed have some remediation that needs to be done. Now, those are the ones that they identified. What happened in your time with your program?
2: So what happened is we contracted with DNR for funding to identify the sites. Mm -hmm. They then contracted with a consulting firm to go out and do the soil testing. At the time, the numbers for lead was 500 parts per million and 100 for arsenic. They delineated those lines, and we then went about and we excavated those soils, hauled them out, and brought clean soil in.
1: For how many sites? We
2: did 24 at that time. Okay. Since that time and through my years at the Soil and Water Conservation Department, Private citizens have cleaned up some other sites, mm. both working with the state or independently, real estate and sales and things of that sort. Where I was going with the mixing sites and cleaning it up, we stopped at a line. Mm. Beyond that line, the lead in arsenic continues to be there, maybe at who knows what level. Certainly in the orchards, the orchards, when I would work with someone who was thinking about buying some property that was an old orchard, And they would then, depending on what their level of concern, health concerns, because everyone's different, they'd talk about doing a bunch of testing. And I would actually try to talk them out of wasting their money, because I would tell them that I can predict approximately a range that you're going to have of lead and arsenic in your soils. So really, you need to make the decision how you're going to manage that, because it's there. Hmm. All the old orchards have the elevated lead and arsenic.
1: Hmm. And these are not even, as you said, identified sites that need to be cleaned up. So I guess that's the, the point to stress. It is not even identified by the state as an open case, for example, is that?
2: Right, well, sure. And there's all sorts of sites that, that exist out there. And, mm-hmm. and, and as I drive through parts of the area of the county, I know the best of Aspaw and Harbor and such. And then even orchards that I picked cherries at as a, as a kid, those sites had to have a mixing site. They had to have a mixing site. So there's a lot more sites out there. What's the level of concern? That's debatable. The other thing to keep in mind is when you have standards, levels, whether it's something in fish or soil or drinking water or whatever, those are scientifically-based Politically approved arbitrary numbers, which you know, uh, you've got to decide. And I've, I've preached this to people for a very long time. You you need to decide what your level of concern, health concern, is. Mm-hmm. You know, when when there's a standard of five hundred parts per million of lead, and you've got four hundred ninety five, that doesn't mean it's good for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to decide what you're going to drink and what you're going to eat. One thing we do need to get to is, and I tell people all the time that this topic is a manageable topic, if you're willing to take the effort to protect yourself based on what your health concern is. The soils, old orchards, if there's a sod cover, they're no harm. Hmm. If you have a garden, you have to think about different plants take it up and different, you know, you do your research on which ones take more, you know, the the idea of eating a carrot out of the garden and things, you have to decide what's your level of concern, chronic Mm -hmm. use. But so uh, if you have a house that's just in old orchards, in terms of direct contact, it's not a concern if you maintain a sod. Bring in a different soil, clean soil for for the garden. The more tricky question, though, is because you now have a a rural home, you have a a private well. Mm -hmm. Now we have to again stop and think about what your level of concern is. Not everybody drinks a lot of Door County Rural Water because of the knowledge of what can go wrong very quickly in in this county. So Mm. when we worked with someone who was buying property, uh, we would spend a fair amount of time trying to understand or get them to understand their own health concern. You know, one person smokes a pack of cigarettes and drinks a quart of vodka every every week, and another person wears plastic gloves and eats all organic food. Somewhere in between those two ends, you make your decision how you're gonna manage it. The groundwater one's the trickier. Not everybody may realize this, but the groundwater in Door County travels extremely fast. Mm -hmm. All those stories you hear about slow-moving groundwater, you don't live in in that area. So if you're gonna test your well for lead, or a lot of other different things today and get a good test, that doesn't mean after the next rainstorm that your water is good in an environment that we live in. Mm -hmm. So you have to fall back to what your personal concern level is. Worked with people that they would – get a bad test on whatever component they're chasing, they get another bad test, they get another bad test, and then they'd get a good one and then they'd stop testing. Uh It's sort of like you take that piece of paper and put it in a safety deposit box and somehow now your well is good. So that's the trickier one for people because they may have to make a decision that costs money. It's easy just to leave the sod, but they may have to put a filter system in to meet their concern or buy bottled water or Sure. So. And
1: I remember uh, one thing that Ken Ebbett said to me again, the engineer that's doing the remediation at Crossroads. He said, I wouldn't drink the water in Door County after a thunderstorm.
2: <laughs> I've worked with the best well known karst geolo- hydrogeologists in Wisconsin and, and probably the nation in places, and they did their PhD work in Door County, uh, two of them, and another. Actually, Door County native, professor at GB. And when we sit around, pretty much all of us avoid drinking rural water in Door County. We don't not drink it. We're not going to be somewhere and need a drink drink of water and not have it. Mm -hmm. But if we're working in in rural settings in the county, all those people I'm talking about say the same thing. Interesting. That Ken said. Yeah, we've seen too much.
0: The Door County Pulse Podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kewanee Counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, Apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers.
1: So you know that there is a well testing program at the SWCD. I mean, it's it's with the state. Mm-hmm. And it's an annual program. And there is arsenic in the majority of all of the wells that are tested. Now, this is a voluntary program. So we're not talking a huge sampling of wells here. Mm-hmm. I think the highest, was, highest year was 246 wells tested. But still it was 98% of the wells that were tested had had arsenic in it yet lower than the state standard. Mm -hmm. So they weren't really elevated levels. However, they were all present. And that was very interesting to me. I live on rural water at the bottom of the bluff in Sevastopol, we have a 90 by 50 garden. And as I told you at the outset of this, I had never really dived into this before. But we probably are, our soil is probably saturated with lead and arsenic. And we have not tested the soil and we haven't had a well test. Are you old orchard? Well, there's remnants of, we have an, an ancient apple tree like right oh. in our yard and it produces apples yeah. still I mean so I'm thinking that it probably it's right by the bluff lands
0: mm-hmm. so below I'm f- or above
1: below okay so I'm thinking that it was old orchard sure
2: you know it again if it if it wasn't asking
1: for a diagnosis but, but <laughs> you no know,
2: but if you look at old or if you look at the old orchard maps yes if your site or someone else's site was old orchard it's elevated lead and arsenic Sure. There's no need to test the soil. It really, isn't it's there. It's there. Right. It's there. So it's the idea of sod, Managing. sod cover for that. That's a, that's really an easy one to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mixing sites is a whole nother game. You know, I, I would talk to people who think about buying some orchard land, and I would talk about how you manage it. I, I would actually say that if you know if you found the site that's the site you've been looking for forever and its old orchard. We can work together on how you can protect yourself to fit your level of concern. Okay. It's it's very manageable.
1: Can you have a garden in an old orchard?
2: If I had a garden I would in an old orchard I would bring in soil. Ah. Simple as that. Okay. Right? Or if you have a garden in those soils, I would research which plants take up lead and or arsenic. And maybe you don't just brush the soil off the carrot on your pants leg and eat it as much. So mm-hmm. there's manageable, but I keep going back to what person, uh, someone's level of sure. concern is. It's so important. Now, if someone's looking at buying property that's a, a mixing site, that is a whole different level of management and concern.
1: Like what Crossroads is doing.
2: It's like Crossroads. It's also a real estate resale concern. Sure. You know.
1: Those are questions, I believe.
2: Very few people that I worked with decided not to buy an old orchard site. They worked through how they would manage it. Over most of the people that were looking at a piece of property that was a mixing site that had not been cleaned up particularly, they did not buy that property, mm-hmm. so there's that, and then there's a few sites that I worked with where the person who was selling the property eventually cleaned up the site at least to the standards that were present at the time and someone even further in, in
1: okay, and it is not inexpensive. The crossroads remediation, I believe, is eighty thousand dollars which doesn't include the initial assessment, but $80,000 is where they are for an area that if memory serves is about 0.27 acres. Mm. So we're talking square feet really, that they're cleaning for $80,000. Now DATCAP is picking up 60,000 of that. The county of Door is cost sharing 10 and Crossroads is picking up 10. So it's really costly to fix these old mistakes That's something that Laurel Hauser, who is the development director at Crossroads and the former executive director, she was talking about how they wanted to do this out in the open so people could see, A, what is happening in the soil and what still persists in the soil, but also the cost of past Mm -hmm. mistakes what happened when you were doing the program? Because somebody has to be to blame. It, you have to blame them first in order to be able to attach a cost to it or who pays for it. And here, the DNR oversees hazardous sites and contamination, but DADCAP was the one who oversaw agriculture and pesticide use. And then you have the landowner who maybe picked up the property and wasn't an orchard owner. So what happened? Mm. So-
2: First in the eighties, Dadcap wasn't wasn't ah. the responsible agency. That was a an agency a tussle later on, and Dadcap being the egg folks took over some responsibility there. But that's not important at this point. In the eighties, it was, it was DNR. So again, going back to that, the orchards were prescribed use mm-hmm. and not something that you're going to force someone to clean up. And again, in the beginning, you pointed out that we got. 12,000 acres. We're not going to strip off 12,000 acres of soil and bring it in. So it's just not going to happen. The mixing sites was a misuse. And what happened is a decision had to be made on culpability. Who's responsible for those mixing sites? If someone was the person who did it or family that did it, they were determined to be culpable and responsible for the cost. If someone came from a different state and just bought the property and had no idea they ever found not to be culpable. Then there was a middle ground, and these are the attorneys that come up with these terms, that if you knew or should have known that it was a mixing site, you were found to be culpable. Hmm. So this was a site by site determination. So the ones that were determined to not be culpable the DNR, or the state of Wisconsin, provided funds for us to use for the cleanup. The landowners who were found to be culpable, the state would not pay for, and we went to the county board at that time and, and convinced them to create a cost share program hmm. to help the landowners who were culpable okay. or deemed to be culpable.
1: So then they that's where that cost share came from. Back then with Back the owner's Got
2: Now, with Crossroads, you mentioned that the county county was providing some cost share funds. About 25 years ago, we created a cost share program, a, a water water pollution cost share program, a county program, because while we had state funds to do certain water quality cost sharing, there were certain components of projects that the state didn't deem as cost shareable. So we created that cost share program that the present staff at Soil and Water is using at the mixing site at Crossroads. Okay. Now, crossroads also then had to make a decision how far they were going to clean up to. Mm. And their cleanup is somewhat less in scope than what we were cleaning up in the eighties in okay. terms of the of the elevated numbers. Ah. And so it, it comes down to whether what you can afford to
1: and when you were talking about the difference in contamination and the levels of contamination you mentioned a couple of sites were so high that they were actually considered to be hazardous
2: right so in the beginning you and I talked about Reynolds and Martins mm-hmm. they were big operations thousands of acres big migrant picker camps and even restaurants and things of that sort big operate people can a german prisoner of war camp mm-hmm. and so there two of their sites at such elevated levels, and unfortunately, some of the shallow soils in Door County, including exposed bedrock at both of these sites, mm. the soil test came back as hazardous waste.
1: Oh, what is the level? Do you remember? I don't what? remember. Okay, I,
2: I'm a geologist and a
1: woodworker. As I, would I always <laughs> point out to
2: people. But in, in addition to that, and this happened later on, is both of those sites had factories, and they the wash water was sent out on a pipe out into the the fields and the orchards and the woods, Mm. and we determined some very high numbers at those places too. The hazardous waste is determined by the chemist people by leaching water through a certain amount of soil in a tube and then they test the water that comes out and if the level of the lead and arsenic is not hazardous waste level, then it's not hazardous waste. What happened at those sites is we applied superphosphate fertilizer to change the pH which caused the metal lead and arsenic to attach to the soil more firmly when the leach test was done it was not a hazardous waste and it could go to a a landfill that can accept that material instead of a hazardous waste we had and i, I believe at the Crossroads. Brian Forrest pointed out he was correct on the number. We had samples that were nineteen thousand parts per million. You know, that's we're looking at the number of five hundred as the cutoff for sure. cleanup. So it was pretty hot stuff. Years later, whatever it was, we started thinking about these discharge waters, and the, so the water from Reynolds was discharged north towards like Holiday Acres, mm-hmm. and the from Martin's it was discharged down towards the Bay Shore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not all the way, got halfway down the bluff. So those were some pretty hot numbers, too.
1: Okay. So this story is not over. As Mm -hmm. we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, these sites still are out there, and a good place to take a look at them is on the map, the GIS map that the county has. There are levels where you can look at the orchards the old orchards uh, across door county to find out if you're in one of those particular areas it is very possible that somebody could own a piece of property right now and not know that they have a former mixing site correct
2: oh yeah i mean yeah we talked about it when we were sitting at crossroads all you have to do is go kitty corner across the street by the ymca and the little cluster of offices and such and you know, that was an orchard and a mixing site in that site.
1: Interesting. And, and
2: many other, you know, you take a look at the area photos. I'm not sure whether it included where the Sturgeon Bay High School is or the football field. But right that whole area up the hill up to the where the water tower is, mm. there was an orchard right on the top there mm. with, for people who've been here a long time by the old rip-rear stand, you know, that was all orchard. And so they
1: weren't required to clean these up before the transfer of property. No,
2: this is way before Yeah, right sure. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, in the 60s and, uh, and like 1970. That was the decline of the cherry industry at that time, mm. you know. So this didn't come a cleanup topic or a topic of concern until the mid-80s. Mm. You know, you see you're talking 50, at least 15 years later lower Michigan now domin- dominates far more orchards You know, mm. Door County went through marketing issues but also labor and sanitary issues at pickers camps and, mm. and such so you know, went through having almost camps for urban kids coming up at Reynolds and, and Horseshoe Bay picking cherries then to local folks and then when World War II happened when so many people went off to the war and men went off to the war Martins was a prisoner of war camp for German soldiers, and they worked the orchards. And then after that, that's when it really became migrants. And, you know, Cherry Road and Reynolds and Martins, uh, there was many picker camps of every nationality you can think. Hmm. Then that became, as time went on with sanitary conditions for picker camps and just human dignity, it started being mostly kids and mothers and then shakers. So we went through all this and eventually we are where we are, where most of of the orchards are gone.
1: And you can't even really tell if it's a site because they uncovered the old water tank at the crossroads site. Mm -hmm. So it was buried. Mm -hmm. It had crumbled, buried. I mean, so it's not like you're even going to be able to find these concrete structures always as...
2: But what what you can do, if someone was really you know, in if thick, they look
1: at the map and look see Look at the maps. And
2: you know, they're, they're, we call them orchard roads, but the orchards yeah. were connected by these dirt roads throughout all over, you know. And if you look at old aerial photos, when there's a, a lane that goes from uh, the buildings out, you know, 20 acres, and there's a, a small building with a round tank, it's a mixing site. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. They needed water, so... And it can be done
1: and that's not a structure that anybody that would jump to anybody's mind yeah. unless they grew up here as being what sti- it is And there's
2: still some you can see. But for those who are maybe looking at the old orchard maps, not every landowner had a mixing site. The way I understand it, and this is certainly second-hand, that knowledge that I have, is that Reynolds and Martins, because they were running their own factories, they wanted supplies of cherries, and also it was an opportunity for dairy farmers to have another income. There were small orchards, Mm. and they may or may not have sprayed their orchards on their own. A small dairy farmer highly unlikely had a sprayer, Mm. orchard sprayer, but Reynolds... Or Martin's potentially went over there and sprayed sprayed. So not every site has a mixing site had a mixing site, mm. but every orchard was sprayed.
1: Sure, because they you know, contracted. So yeah, with so was a little invest bigger- yeah, exactly yeah. how
2: it works, I'm not, not sure, but it, okay. it happened, that's right. for sure.
1: Well, the cherry industry is still strong in Dora County. Most of the tart cherry production anyway comes from Dora County, uh, according to Wisconsin statistics. So it is still a strong in industry. the state of Wisconsin. Most in case, the state of, of Wisconsin, okay. right? And I think it was number six in the country. I want to say, okay. but it, it is so. It is still a strong industry. This is not a swipe at the current but industry. Just a handful of orchards, though. Yeah, and instead with, of
2: instead of lots of orchards, like all agriculture, big, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm.
1: larger dairies, the mm-hmm. larger farms. Mm-hmm. So this has been. A really interesting discussion, Bill. I know that people will find the history fascinating that I, like I said, I didn't know anything. I had heard about this issue but didn't really understand why there was arsenic and lead in our soil. And so I encourage people to read our story to go on the Crossroads website as well and take a look at the information session and the material that they have there that they're using to educate people about this topic. And I want to thank you, Bill, for coming out of hiding and coming (laughs) on to the podcast. So you are listening to the Dora County Pulse podcast, and I want to thank everybody for doing that, for listening. Until next time
0: thank you so much for listening to the door county pulse podcast this podcast is produced by miles danhausen jr and edited by rachel lucas if you want to help us continue to create more great episodes just like this one visit our website at doorcountypulse.com